I think equally celebrating successes of serving the customer through either product or through sales and customer success motion, high-touch motion, creates this right balance when people understand that the best company for the future in most markets is a product-led growth enterprise company, and then you need to do both to, to be successful. This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your potential, then this show is for you. I'm Sheena Badani. And I'm Devin Reed, coming to you from the Gong Studios. It seems like everyone is talking about PLG, or product-led growth. And if you're one of the many companies relying on an enterprise sales motion, it could feel like you're missing out. If you're wondering if and how to introduce PLG, Zhenya Loganoff has the answers. After serving at Dropbox, Segment, and now taking the helm as Chief Revenue Officer at Miro, he's learned a thing or two about bridging product and customer needs. In today's episode, Zhenya shares how to consider adopting product-led growth or an enterprise sales motion, or both, and how to create incentives to hire the best talent. Before we jump into today's episode, I'm here with my one-year-old daughter, Rumi, to make a very special announcement. Rumi, can you say hi? Hey. So today, we're here to announce that Celebrate, our virtual conference, is back. It's back. Yes, very good. It's on Tuesday, June 21st. We're gathering revenue leaders at the world's fastest growing companies for a summer celebration. Ooh. Ooh. My reaction exactly. Don't miss out on our fireside conversation with Forrester, how to increase deal predictability with Gong Labs, hosted by yours truly, and we're announcing a major product release. The link to save your seat is in the show notes, or you can go over to celebrate.gong.io. Register now to save your spot. Can you say, back to the show? So. Okay, we're going to go one word at a time. Say, back, back. To, to the what? show. Do. Good job. Zenia, it's so great to see you again. It's been a while. For our listeners, we actually went to business school together and we're coming up on our reunion. So it's a nice way to get together again virtually on Riverside today. Sheena, great to see you again. Thank you for having me. Let's jump right into it. You've worked at some fantastic companies, names that everybody's heard of, Dropbox, Segment, and now you're the CRO of Miro. So congrats on all of that. One common thread through all of these companies is that they've all really mastered the PLG motion to sell up into enterprise. Can you tell us a little bit more about this transition from being a direct sales company to a PLG-led company? I think actually all of those companies started with PLG and then later on transitioned to uh, more direct sales. I think I found that sort of over time looking at different companies that have PLG motion that the high-touch sales-led motion is more similar between different companies, although there are differences. But the PLG is entirely different depending on your product and your like market and your buyers. In all of those three companies, those were distinctly different types of businesses. But all of those started with PLG Motion. When there is a page somewhere on the website where you can enter your credit card and start paying for the product, and that has been the motion for a couple of years before there was the first salesperson at the company, and the destination of all of those companies were kind of different. So at Dropbox, Dropbox, I think, is still predominantly 
focused on self-serve motion, focused on individuals or small businesses. Segment transitioned from over 80% of revenue coming from self-serve when I joined to about 10%, 12% of revenue coming from self-serve when I left. And then the company has been growing for three years since then. So my guess is that right now the high touch is maybe 90, 95% of the business. I'm not sure. And then somewhere in between is not quite half and half. I think the high touch side grew much faster than the self-serve side over time. The way that those companies started transitioning to high touch motion and where we ended up at every company really depends on the market and maybe depends on company philosophy as well. My biggest learning from Dropbox was that the majority of large companies in software are in the enterprise space. There's maybe only Intuit and maybe another couple of companies that are really huge that are not in the enterprise, not make the majority of their money in the enterprise. But you know, nine out of 10 or eight out of 10 are really in the enterprise. And Dropbox wasn't really super successful in doing that. We did well in the SME mid-market space, but had a lot more competition in the enterprise with Box and Microsoft and to some extent Google and didn't do terribly well. So when I joined Segment, my number one goal was like, okay, this company, I really want to make sure that we win the enterprise space, that we are like Segment for the enterprise is Segment. And that's what I spent most of my focus, most of my time in the first three years. So for, for those who are PLG newbies or are still understanding all the components to it, would you say that self-serve and PLG are synonymous or what are the other criteria for really being a product-led company? I didn't ever think about what is the exact definition. I think that PLG can be a lot more than just purely self-service. I think that even, for example, when we sell at Miro, we sell to a large company, we can close deal with a couple of hundred licenses. And then the adoption of the product grows on its own because of the built-in viral mechanisms in the product. And that to me is also PLG, although it's in the context of a sales assist revenue generation. I think a lot of companies start from just work in your small team with this particular product with a credit card, and that that's maybe where PLG starts. But I think PLG is a lot larger than just purely self-service. You're right. You read my mind, Sheena, because uh, I, it's just clicked, even though we've talked about PLG a couple of times on this show, that I used to work at Eventbrite. And I joined the enterprise sales team because they had like, I don't know, somewhere around 80, 85% of their revenue was self-service. And as, and as Jenny was talking to us, I was like, wait, have I actually been in a PLG company? And I, and I didn't even notice. And I was going to ask if there's a difference between self-service and, and PLG. My hunch while he was answering was maybe PLG hadn't been coined yet. And so I was at one before, uh, before we knew it. I think this transition from pure PLG and pure credit card business to the enterprise business is a fairly long one. Uh, it takes, it's segment, we used to call it uh, like enterprise university that takes four years to graduate. If you drop out too early, you don't get the diploma and there's no benefit of, you only have the student loans. So that you really need to see through this whole transformation from the culture of the company to like the talents that you attract to the company to the position in the market and sort of how do you start working with the customers. So that journey in and of itself is, is sort of a big one that the company needs to go through. I'm curious of what is the trigger to decide when to start that enterprise sales motion, right? If you are purely PLG. And so, you know, going back back to my experience, the company wanted to start landing larger accounts that would have larger, uh, you know, revenue impact. So small amount of clients, but a big impact on revenue. Is that the same in your experience or maybe there are other kind of primary reasons as well? Yeah, I think that we thought about this in kind of two different ways. One is forward thinking. The other one was backward thinking. And to me, this sort of backward thinking is actually determining 
how to start and when to start and how much emphasis to put on it. And what I mean by this is we were trying to imagine what does a successful company in this space look like 10 years from now? And does this company need to be in the enterprise or does it not need and to what extent? In the segment, for example, we understood that we are talking about data management for companies and most data problems reside when there's a lot of data complexity, which is in the enterprise. And we are a fairly sophisticated, specialized tool, which means that our market size is not terribly big. I think even today, segments potential market size is maybe like a couple of billion dollars, maybe $1 billion, which means that if you really want to be a company that can exist on its own and a company that can be successful in this segment, you need to be in the enterprise, like it's must have. And that determined the direction of the company. And then we said, well, actually every effort that we can put in the enterprise, we will put in the enterprise and there is no time to, to lose here. And I think it's not necessarily true for many other markets and many other companies, right? So you can be in, I don't know, payments space like Stripe or some of the other companies. And there's a huge market, billions and billions and billions of dollars in the SMB space where you may need just sales assist and not true enterprise sales and customer success motion. So I think it depends a lot on kind of the market that you're in and what you see your company becoming in five to 10 years. So we've been talking about companies that start out as PLG and then shifting to the enterprise motion. I think there's a lot of companies that are also coming the other way because they started with a direct sales motion and now they're hearing a lot about the impact and possibilities and benefits with PLG and they're trying to figure that and crack that nut. Um, So I'm curious if you have any guidance or best practices to share with leaders who are coming at it from the other way around. My sense is that it's frankly, fairly hard to do. Let's start with that. It's very hard to do in the confines of an existing company where all the incentives are already set up for um, for a given motion. You almost need to kind of create a company within a company, like a small group of people who are creating either a PLG, purely PLG product or a PLG motion on an existing product. Or maybe you want to acquire a company in a similar space that is a PLG and sort of grow motion from that company. That's how I would, would have approached it. But if you ask your head of enterprise sales and head of enterprise marketing to build a PLG motion, people who have never been exposed to it before, it's going to be very hard for them to do. That makes a lot of sense. Maybe you could break down like what makes it hard. You talked a little bit about maybe incentives and how the company is set up, but like what are those other key components that really make it different? My sense is PLG motion, it's a product motion. It doesn't start from the teams that are typically working with customers that start from the product team where you have to figure out how to work with your customers at scale. And you figure it out in the core ways of how product works. Like is your product, does it have essentially built-in features that provoke people to share links to the product and invite other people into the product? And if it doesn't, it's very hard to have vital loops and it's very hard to expand. Does your product... Is it like easy enough to start using in the first five minutes so that you can go try it, pay for it and start using it? And if it's not, if it needs installation and so on, then it's very hard to do. So it sort of starts with the product teams that have no resources, need to go and interact with customers and make it as easy for customers to interact and use a product as possible without the additional humans being involved in the loop. That I think what it, what makes it hard. You kind of almost need to forget that you as a company already have so many more resources everywhere and go back to the very roots and the very foundation and almost launch like a new product or a new motion from there. This has come up at, at Gong before, Sheen. I don't know if you remember this this answer. I know we've heard it, which is like, you know, why, why don't we go this route or this route? And someone, you know, always says like, the product just wasn't built 
to be onboarded by yourself. We have a CSM team for a reason. And I think to your point, that's where maybe self-service come back in. It's like, look, if you can't figure this thing out on your own in five minutes, you're probably not ready to, to continue down that, that route, which is sounds tactical, but it's probably a really practical heat check. You know what I mean? Give this thing to somebody. Can they get going in five minutes? If not, well, let's figure out why. Yeah, and I don't think that it's necessarily bad, right? So I think that there are some things that are that almost call for a PLG motion if it's a tool to make a presentation or a tool that um, somebody can use on their own, great. But if it's something like Workday or markets that, that require this, like that's fine to not need a PLG motion. There are a lot of great companies that build this way. Let's talk about the people that help create a successful PLG-led company. For your sales team, what are some of the attributes or criteria that you're looking for as you're hiring for a team that is going to complement and work well alongside the secondary motion that you have at the company? All depends on the stage you're in in this journey. I think the people who we even at Miro hired two years ago are different and they're a different profile than the people we are hiring today. When you're only starting to go and add the enterprise motion to a PLG motion, you need people, especially in leadership and sales leadership, who understand the value of PLG. They may not even work at a PLG company, although it helps a lot, but they should understand what do you not need to ask sales team to do, what will come to you on its own, and what are the actual things that are really hard to do for the sales team. For example, if you have a PLG motion like you have a Dropbox, driving new logos it's actually fairly easy if you are converting your own self-serve user base into your enterprise logo. So you will not need to incentivize heavily your apps on doing that. But driving wall-to-wall deployments may be extremely hard and you may want to incentivize people much more on that. So sort of having in the sales leadership this appreciation and understanding of how self-service and PLG motion generally works in the very beginning helps a lot. And the other thing that helps a lot is kind of having people who have who can easily and with a high degree of comfort go and talk to your product people and your marketers and your customer success folks and like everybody else in the company, but especially product engineering, because there is a lot of a feedback loop to the product engineering, but also a lot of like understanding of what are the strengths in the product that needs to get to your go-to-market team. The other quality that I think you need in the early stage leadership, go-to-market leadership, is this ability to talk to your engineering and product. Also, everybody else in the company, but primarily engineering and product because of the two feedback loops, one of feedback loop to product engineering of what's valuable in the product and what do we need to build to satisfy needs of larger and larger customers, but also the feedback from product engineering to really understand what are the core strengths in the product and intentions with which the product was built to communicate to the customers. So you want the sales team to be very, very deeply integrated with the rest of the company early on. And in my experience, not every sales leader profile works well for that. So that works really well in the beginning. But when you're out of $100 million zone, when you closed already a couple of dozen million dollar contracts, you may hire a much more traditional um, sales team. Actually, a team that has the skills that your early stage team may not have. The team that has closed five, $10 million accounts that understands the, the complexity of top-down sales that you, know, you may not have had at the beginning that is maybe further away from this original company culture and engineering and product, but that really understands the complex enterprise buying cycles much better. Touched on it a little bit earlier, saying it was helpful, but not, maybe not necessary all the time. But I'm curious, as you're building your team, how important is it to you to have someone who's been at a 
product-led growth company or PLG company. I'm wondering like, hey, at least 50% should have that type of experience or 25%. Like how important is that? And maybe you could share to the earlier stages. I think it primarily depends on the speed at which you are growing or intending to grow. Say two years ago, we were growing more than three, four times year over year in terms of revenue. And it meant that we have no time to educate anybody. So we focused on people who have gone through the similar motion and we had way more than 50% of our new team members come from companies that have seen something similar before. And if you're growing slower, you can hire people who have no experience even in the workplace at all and educate them over time. Like at Dropbox, for example, the vast majority of the people we hired, we hired from university or from like a year or two of work experience without looking at where exactly did they have that work experience because we had the time to educate them. And we actually had a sense that we can get the high quality talent if we go straight to the university. No, I like that. It's a strategic way to look at like which learning curve are we tackling, right? With this, with this type of hire. And again, over time, I think it changes. Right now, I can afford to hire people with no work experience at all. Right now, we have the time to educate them and we already have the managers who know what to do. We have peers who know what to do and control them the ropes and so on. What do you think most leaders get wrong when they're on this route from shifting to PLG to enterprise motion? Biggest pitfall that I've seen is when people think that it's a go-to-market team job to do this, to make this journey happen, and that your go-to-market leader, your head of sales, customer success will go and figure it out. That has been a mistake because without product changes and without a lot of culture change that oftentimes is driven by the CEO, it's very hard to win that market. Like when you become an enterprise company, there are just different profiles and different cultures that exist within your own company. Like you need to fully embrace the enterprise motion and understand that those people who are sending to the enterprise, they're not sleazy salespeople that you never want to talk to. They are fantastic human beings that deliver a lot of value to the customer and to the company and how to build the team so that it communicates to the rest of the company and how to get the rest of the company in the journey and understand that. Well, a large enterprise customer may want you to have, let's say, accessibility features. They may want you to have features regarding like security and access control and so on that are very far away from your current product roadmap, but you need to deliver on all of that and you need to take all of your engineering product organization on the journey. If that's happening, your company is going to be successful in the enterprise journey. If that's not happening and it's only the go-to-market team that cares about that, I don't think that you're going to be successful. Are there any specific tactics that you've put into place either at Miro or in the past to enable that communication and that alignment between the teams? It's all people business. It all depends on the people. At Segment, it mostly is the credit to the founder and the engineering and product leaders who are at those companies, that those companies like Segment and Miro are successful in penetrating the enterprise. Peter Reinhardt and then Tito Carrero, who was running who was the CEO and then CTO at Segment, they spent a ton of time with enterprise customers. And they spent a ton of time inviting engineers and product leaders into enterprise customer conversations to, to get them on board in this journey. And then when I was looking for, for a job after I left Segment, I was interviewing the founders and my number one criteria for the founder was, are they going to be stuck in believing that the product is always going to sell itself? Or are they going to believe that there is value in talking to enterprise customers and they adopt product differently, and then there is value in building the go-to-market teams. Getting your engineering product leadership and the CEO involved with enterprise customers and their needs is very, very important. As a previous salesperson, when I first caught wind of PLG, there's kind of this like thought in my brain of, if this isn't a sales-led company, 
Am I going to be important? Is my revenue contribution going to be valued as I think it should? Is my voice going to be heard as much as I think it should? Or a product-led company and sales is maybe in the backseat. And there's always sometimes that conflict of like sales versus marketing or sales versus product. You know, you're not building it the right way or no, you're not selling it the right way. So I'm curious if you've had any sort of this conflict. Is it all just in my head? Is this something that's in reality? And if it's real, how do you overcome that? I think that it can be real and it can definitely be avoided and should be avoided, I think, on several different levels, right? So we talked a bit about basically culture conflict between the two two different cultures, the PLG culture and the enterprise-led sales culture. That's one part of it, but there is also the just a purely how to set up teams operationally so that they spend their time on serving the customer and figuring out the best way to go to market instead of fighting each other. One bad way to set it up is to have two people with one responsible for, let's say, self-serve revenue and another one responsible for high-touch revenue. And that's it. And then you, there is always an overlap. There's always like self-serve customers who will upgrade and upsell to the enterprise. And then there's always a fight. Like that should be a self-serve customer. You should not sell to very small companies through high-touch or this should be an enterprise customer. Even though they're very small, they are, I don't know, very large companies. So they should be on a high-touch. You don't want to spend time on that. So I think we found... At Miro, a wonderful way of doing this where we effectively overlap incentives where I'm responsible for the entire revenue, but the self-serve team doesn't report to me, it reports into product, and the self-serve team doesn't have their self-serve revenue number is not the only thing that uh, the team cares about. In fact, it's not even the primary thing that this team cares about. This team cares about all the inputs that go into building a healthy business, right? So the rate of acquisition, the rate of retaining a customer in the first two to four weeks, rate of the customer growth after the first year. So all of this sort of input metrics, but not necessarily the self-serve revenue itself, because the self-serve in our case, in the Miro case, is both a destination and a channel. It's a destination for many small companies that would never need human being involved in their onboarding process, sales process, but it's primarily a channel for much larger companies that will start with maybe 10, 20 people using Miro. On a self-serve account, and eventually we'll have a couple of thousand people using Miro at a large enterprise account. So setting up incentives this way really helped us just be in the same boat at all times. That's one. The second thing I think is celebrating successes of both teams equally is very important. So I've seen companies that where all the old hands is all about product engineering. That was maybe early stage Dropbox. And I've seen companies where there are lists of top performers on the sales team at every other quarterly all hands, and that sort of robs people the wrong way as well. I think equally celebrating successes of serving the customer through either product or through sales and customer success motion, high-touch motion, creates this right balance when people understand that the best company for the future in most markets is a product-led growth enterprise company, and then you need to do both to, to be successful. Genia touches briefly on customer retention, but let's dive a little bit deeper. Customer retention rate is a guiding statistic for your growth. So let's take a quick look at how you may measure up. For most SaaS companies, the average monthly churn rate is between 3 and 8%. An annual churn is anywhere between 32 to 50%, according to SaaS Sales Hacker. And I know that number might vary industry to industry. Like Genia said, customer retention in the first two to four weeks is vital to your success over the long term. And the only way to ensure you can improve your customer retention is through internal alignment around the customer experience. 
Let's hear what Jenya has to say about creating alignment within your teams using incentives. I think the school of incentives sort of came from when you really need additional motivation for people to do something specific that you want them to do. While I think in the majority of startup companies, you don't really need to very distinctly specify what you need people to do. You need to create incentives so that they generally align the direction. And then you're hiring smart people and people who are interested in building something that will figure out how to optimize the small things. This has been a fantastic conversation. We got really into the weeds of a lot of the ways to most effectively be a PLG company and transition to enterprise. I found it really, really interesting. To wrap up our conversation, we ask all of our guests the same question, which is how would you describe sales in one word? On the other interview that I've listened to, the person said value, and I think value is kind of my answer, but I'm now checking myself. I really believe it, but to me, sales is also a bridge, a bridge between the product and, um, and the customer needs and the value that we can deliver to the customer. Maybe you build a value bridge. I'll put them together. Speaking of both, <laughs> we let people put hyphens. We're very, uh, we're very open with hyphens for folks that want to put multiple words in there. Awesome. It was a great conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Shuna, David, thank you so much for having me. If you want to see how revenue intelligence can help improve your go-to-market effectiveness, head over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard today, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening.